three, get your notes out, whether they're on your iPad, your iPhone, your, uh, your Samsung, whatever it is on, or if it's, you're using the, uh, um, the paper notes, uh, the, this, this verse is right at the top. It says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So this is the, the second week of this series that we're calling Everyday Saints, Faithfulness in a Day Today. This is our theme verse, one of our theme verses, is that though we're outwardly wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. This is the journey that God has called us to. When we begin a relationship with Jesus, it is day by day. Paul, Paul lives it out. Paul says it this way. Oh, man, I, I have to, got all my notes from the first service. Clear that. You guys can't be cheating. Uh-oh. Oh, you're going to get the notes from the first service. Day by day. It says, uh, he, he went, Paul speaking, went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square, and that was uh, all, to all who happened to be there. So he, every day he went into the public square, and he spoke to them. So he went on Saturday, he went to the synagogue. That would be our Sunday. He went to the church. But then day to day, he went into the marketplace. One of the translations actually says the public square of the marketplace. Where he worked, he went there, and he spent time talking about Jesus there. So what's your marketplace? Your marketplace is your place. If, if, you're, if you're a stay-at-home mom, it's home. If, you're, if, you're going, if you own a business, it's your business. If you, are, if you are work in, the, in a factory, it's your place in the factory. If it's, if it's at school, that's your place where you go every day, day by day. You're called to take your place of work, your marketplace, and turn it into your place of ministry. And that's what this series is about, is that we're diving into looking at some people who have done just that. Today, we are going to be looking at a guy and, and last week we looked at Shifra and Pua, two names that <laughs> nobody had heard of. Uh, and we really focus on the fact that Moses, who wrote the book of Exodus, made sure that these names were important, that they were noticed, that they were set apart. And like, hey, we put a highlighter on them for us. Today we're going to look at a guy whose name we're not even given. And last week I said, you went, why are the names there? The question was why. Today I want you to ask the question, why isn't the name there? Why isn't the name there? Genesis chapter 24, verse 1 says, Abraham was now a very old man who had, been, who, who had blessed, uh, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. So here, here's where we begin. So when we study scripture, we want to study in what? Yes, if, you ha if you're new, this is, this is what, how we study. We, there's three important things to studying the Word of God, and those that, are, that have been around, you know what I'm about to, go, say, about to say. You ready to go with me? Number one, most important thing when you study the Word of God is what? Context. The second most important thing is what? Context. And third? Context. context. So we need the geographical context. We're, we're, I'm going to bring that into uh, application a little bit later. We need to know context of where we're at in Scripture. So right now we're in Genesis chapter 24, and we're introduced to a guy named Abraham. A lot of you who grew up in, in Sunday school know who Abraham is, right? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. All right, 
this is awesome. We got a church that full of people didn't go to Sunday school. I'm glad you're here now. <laughs> but all of you knew that song. Come on. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons. But, but we don't really know the background to Abraham. We just know he's a father, and he is a father. He's the father of the Jewish faith. He's the father of the Christian faith. You want a little, like, when we just mess with you a little bit? He's also the father of the Muslim faith. Have fun with that, okay? <laughs> well, we'll get into that later at some point. But here he is, Abraham. Who was he? What's he doing in chapter 24? Well, we get, let's back up, because we are introduced to him in chapter 11, when it says that his father, Terah, decided to leave Ur the Chaldeans and move to the place of the Canaanites. So let me show, give, give you a map. So we got two Ur's. If you notice here on the right-hand side of the, of the screen, there's two Ur's. And the reason why I put two Ur's is because there's a debate of which one it is. I'm going to say that it's actually this one. This is a city named Ur. The bottom one is a city. The top one is a region. So Ur of the Chaldeans was, is a region that they're from. And it says in chapter 11 of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, that Terah moved his family from Ur and that he decided that they should move from Ur and that he's going to move them. And in the very end of it, he says that they were going to move to the place of the Canaanites, which does, if you're in your Bible, here's a, I'm going to give you a little clue, especially in Genesis. When it says the land of the Canaanites, that is Israel. Okay? So that's where he's going. So he leaves Ur, and he heads, he can't go this way, through this, all this, all this brown area is wilderness, and you cannot travel through it. So he's going to do, uh, it's the, called the Fertile Crescent, he's going to, the goal was for him to go this way, and then down into the, the Canaanite, land of the Canaanites. However, he can't go that way, because, oh, wait, wait, he can't go that way, he gets stopped in Harem. So he gets to Haran, and he stops. We don't know why, we just know he stops and Haran. But Abraham, in chapter 12 of Genesis, is called by God, to say, and God says to him, you need to leave your home with your father and go where I call you to go. Just follow my lead. And we know that he leaves there, and he, uh, at the very end of uh, chapter 5, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 5, it says, and he headed for the land of Canaan, Israel, the promised land. So, Here's the story of Abraham up to this point. He goes from Haram at 75 years old. He leaves Haran. He goes down to the Canaanite, uh, down into the land of the Canaanites. He's here. There's a famine. So he's like, well, I can't stay here. I can't eat. So he goes to the breadbasket of the world, Egypt. He spends some time in Egypt. <laughs> he gets in trouble in Egypt. And here's how he gets in trouble in Egypt. He, when he goes into Egypt, he tells his wife, who's named Sarai, Hey, Sarai, um, these people are going to think you're hot. And this is the Josh McDonald version, okay? They're going to think you're hot, so when we get there, just tell them you're my sister, which is half true, because you're kind of my stepsister. So um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's okay. It, it's, in the Bible times, this is normal. In ancient Near East, everything, like, this is normal stuff. So he says, when we get there, tell everybody that you're my sister, because it's a half-truth. Just don't tell them I'm married to you. So they get there. Well, Pharaoh checks her out. And he, guess what? He thinks she's hot. So he begins to hit on her. And how does a Pharaoh hit on her? Starts giving, starts giving his, her brother 
gifts. Some cattle, some servants, and all, he's giving them all these things. And finally it comes out, hey, that's not just his sister. <laughs> that's his wife. And he, Pharaoh's like, hey, you got to get out of here. Take everything I've given you, and here's some extra stuff, and leave Egypt. And so he leaves Egypt, and he goes back to Canaan. So he goes back, and this is where, in chapter 24, we end up. So we know a couple of things about this point in chapter 24. So far, Abraham has, le has left Egypt. After he leaves Egypt, him and uh, Lot have to split ways because they're so rich. There's not enough land to feed both their cattle. So they have to go in two different directions. So they go in two different directions. Lot gets brought into this place called Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that story? Sodom and Gomorrah are evil, evil places. And they, God says, hey, I'm going to judge this place. So he's, uh, he comes down and he says, uh, I'm going to judge them. And they, Lot runs off. His wife looks back at the city, turns into a pillar of salt. Those of you that are back in Sunday school, this is some stories that might ring a bell. So Lot gets free, ends up, long story, Sodom and Gomorrah get burned up. Then uh, Lot, uh, there's another story in there where Lot gets taken captive by a group of five kings. Now, kings at that time weren't kings of big, city, uh, big nations. They're kings of cities. So he, five city kings get together. They do this little battle, and they fight uh, the, these other five cities. They defeat them. Lot is in the mix of it, and he gets taken away. Abram, Abraham finds out about it. He says, no, 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 we can't have this. That's my, that's my family. I'm going to come in. I'm going to fix it. So he gets his group of, of family members and creates his own militia. He gets his team up, he works them all together, he says, hey, we're going to go after this guy. He gets his servants, his, all the people that are with him, and they go fight the five kings and win. There's all these cool stories. So you just need to read Genesis chapter 11 through chapter 24 to catch up. We know a lot of things are happening here. In chapter 24, we just got told that Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. In verse 2, it says, one day... Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household. So this is the guy we're going to talk about. We don't get his name in chapter 24. In fact, we don't really know for sure who he is. But we do know something about him just by what, how the, the text says that he's the man in charge of his household. If you want to, you can put there that this oldest servant is the CEO of everything that Abraham has. So Abraham is obviously doing pretty well. He's doing so well that he has to split off from, his, from, from Lot. He's doing so well that he's able to form an army to defeat an army that, of five kings. He's doing pretty good. And this guy is a servant he trusts to the point that he puts him in charge of everything that he owns. So Abraham calls in his servant and says, hey, God, listen, I need you to do something for me. We get a hint of who this might be. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 2, Abraham is complaining to God that he doesn't have a son yet. And because he doesn't have a son, all of his inheritance is going to go to his oldest servant named Eleazar. So most scholars, and the, uh, if you go to the Jewish Mishnah, which is a, a commentary, I guess the best way to describe it is a commentary to the Torah. The Mishnah says that this is Eleazar in chapter 24. So chapter 24, we got the oldest servant, but his name is not given. 
why isn't his name given if we know who he is? Says that he, he brings us, uh, him in, says one day, Abraham, and says to t- take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. Now, some of you, okay, listen, some of you have a commentary or a study Bible that says what it's going to be. Now, in there, now, immediately, I know where my mind went, okay? Under his thigh is what? Right? Okay. And most of your commentaries or study Bibles are going to say that this is going to say something about his privates, okay? And it would, okay, it makes, it's close. However, if you go to the Hebrew thought, which is this is what happens a lot, when we take English, the Western context, and apply it to Scripture, we miss something. So if you go back and you go to the Hebrew concept, an Eastern mindset, this was a symbol not of grabbing his, yeah. <laughs> this was a sign, I'll give you an example. So if I have a, if somebody, if I take a hand and I put it under the thigh and I sit on it, I am saying the person who is sitting on the hand is in charge of the person whose hand he's sitting on. So the person who places the hand underneath the thigh is in submission to the person sitting on the hand. Does that make sense? So it, it may mean what many scholars say it means, but I'm going to go with that most Hebrews would never allow, the, uh, Jews would never go and say, yeah, this is something like that. Most of them are going to say that this is a concept of understanding that I am in submission to this person. Either way, I'm making an extreme sign of commitment to this individual. So it says, swear to by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son, Isaac. Okay, this, again, in ancient Near East, this was not something that was weird. Okay, today, this is weird. If, if I told my son, hey, I want you to go find one of your cousins to marry, that would be wrong. Right? T County, help me out. Right? <laughs> it shouldn't be this hard. <laughs> this is not a good thing. Okay? Today. Now, in ancient Near East, the way that they kept their property in their family was that they would marry within their family. They also didn't have the issue that we have today, uh, that their DNA was so corroded that when they, the two people that were that close in relationship would cause some serious issues like it does if, in your, if, you're, if you're in West Virginia. Anyways. <laughs> so he says, go, go to my relatives in my homeland. He said, the servant says, but what, if I find, but what if I can't find a young woman who's willing to travel so far from home Should I then take Isaac there to live among your relatives in the land you came from? (laughs) Abraham says, no. Now, that Hebrew word there, no, can be literally translated, watch yourself. You ever have your mom say, watch yourself? No, 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 don't you go down. You better, mm, that's what Abraham is going, no, no. Don't even think about it. Don't even go down that road. He says, be, be, be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. Which land? The land of the Canaanites, which is Israel. He says, he will send his angel ahead of you 
and he will, uh, he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. Now, this is important to grab. Abraham's servant, his oldest servant, has been with Abraham for at least since he was 75 years old. He's witnessed Abraham's life. He's been with Abraham through every situation that Abraham has been going through. When Abraham was in Egypt, he saw that. When Abraham was walking uh, into the promised land, he, he witnessed everything Abraham was doing. This man saw him do. And when Abraham said, the angel that's been guiding me, that made Pharaoh give me all these nice things that I have, <laughs> is going to be with you. He was like, okay, I can handle that. It says, in uh, verse 8, he says, if she is willing to un unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from this oath of mine. But under no circumstances are you to take my son there. Do not leave what God has promised you to go back because it's more convenient. Okay, I could preach right here for a minute. God has freed you. God has brought you. He has redeemed you. He has brought you to a place. And don't you dare... Watch yourself. Don't go back to what he brought you from. Don't go back to what he, what he, I know it's hard. I know it's going to be inconvenient to go get somebody that's going to be right for you. I know it's going to be difficult, but don't you dare return to the life that was because the life you're living now is hard. So the servant took an oath by putting his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and he swore to follow Abraham's instructions as goofy as they are as difficult as they would be to find he promised to do them Then he loaded ten of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master And he traveled to the distant Aram Nahiram Hebron which I put in there the parentheses are my uh, my notes Hebron There he went to the town of Abram's brother Nahor or Haram that uh, his brother had settled which is harem now let's go back to the map because we got here Ur's over here they left there this is where abraham started he came down and he settled in the land of the canaanites and most likely it is near or in the town of hebron now he tells his servant hey i want you to go back to where i came from and find my son a wife just to put it this into perspective, this is 500 plus miles. Best option. If he was going every day, just going at it, it took at least 21 days to get to, the, to, uh, to Harem. So he's going from, Her from uh, uh, Hebron, and he's going to Haran, and it takes a minimum of 21 days traveling 500 miles. Now, just I, get, I want you to get a picture of this. That is, to, from here to Columbus is, is 100 miles, roughly. Okay? Multiply that by at least, at least five. It takes us two hours to drive from here to Columbus. Two hours, roughly, out for 100 miles. J just think about the commitment that this servant made to his master just because he said, my angel will be with you. So he, made the, he gets there to, to, uh, to Haran. He says, 
he made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town. It was evening, and the women there were coming out to draw water. Okay, for me, growing up, I read this scripture, and I went to immediately, okay, the women were coming out to the well, hmm, Jack and Jill went up the hill to touch a pail of water. Right, is that, that, is that the picture of a well that you have? Like you got that little nice little round wood thing, and you, you crank up the, the water, and it comes up? Is that, is that, okay, that's what I had pictured. That's not what a well in Israel looks like. In, in, in Israel, in the ancient Near East, it looks like this. They would dig these wells, and this is in Gibeon, which I, I, I was here. Uh, this is the steps that lead down to the well. So when the, they were out, coming out from the village to go to the well, this is what they would have been going to. Here's a picture of the steps going down into it. Uh, here's a, this, is a, this is another one. This is a picture of Migdala. Uh, this is another well. So th this isn't just one time that there was a well like this. I'm going to give you a picture. And here's the steps going down to this well, not built now. That's not what they looked like then. They had th this whole system of going down. So he gets to the well. The women are coming out to the, uh, to the well to get the water for, the, for their families. And he says this. He gets to the well, and the first thing he does is what? He prays. Oh, Lord, God of my master, Abraham. He prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master, Abraham. See, I'm standing here beside the spring, and the, young women, uh, and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. Then he gives his request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says yes, have a drink, I will, and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have selected for Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Now, the first part of this request is common ancient Near East hospitality. So when, they, when he came there and he would ask, if, as a male, would have asked a woman to, hey, can I have a drink? I, can't, I don't have the ability to draw the water. I don't have any jars or anything. And he would say, can I have a drink? It was her obligation to give him a drink. But then he adds to it that she would not just do what she was obliged to do, but that she would do above and beyond what she needed to do. Okay, real quick. Those of you that are single in here, if you're looking for somebody, look at the request they make. The request is, I want a person of character that is willing to go above and beyond what is required of them. I want something. I, there's no external ex expectations. These guys don't go, hey, I want this girl to be smoking hot. On a scale of 1 to 10, she needs to be at least a 7.5. There's no rating. It's just I just want a woman who is willing to work. See, this is the problem that, that, I, that we do today is that we, we go, we base our dating system upon rather left, swipe left or swipe right. Not upon who the person is but just based upon their external features. I'll get to know who they are internally later. See, let me just slow everybody down just a minute. Before you date someone, before you commit yourself to giving them your emotions and your body and all those other things that I don't have time to get into, you need to know who they are. 
What are they going to do with your emotions? Are they going to serve you in the way that you want to serve them? Are they going to, are they, what are they going to do with what you hand them? And it better be someone who's saying, hey, I'm willing to go above and beyond, and I don't care how ridiculous it is, I will feed, I will water 10 camels. Okay. Before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out to, uh, with her water jug on her shoulder. Ooh, he prayed. God answered before she even, he even finished praying. She was the daughter of Bethel, Bethuel, who was the son of Abram's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. Now, he doesn't know this yet. We know this. It says, Rebecca was very, what? Beautiful. <laughs> I hear a young man over there. Let me just, let me help you out. You got a, you got a woman. He, got, he requests character, and God brings a smoking hot. All right? So, so here we go. It says, and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin, and she went down to the spring and filled her jug and came up again. Running over to her, he requests something. He says, please give me a little drink of the water from your jug. Just, just, I just need, just need a sip. I'm parched. I've been traveling for 21 days on the back of camels for over 500 miles. Can I have something to drink? And she says, yes, my lord, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him the drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. She just committed herself to at least two hours of work. To a man she'd never met before. She knows nothing about him. She just says, I'm willing to serve you above and beyond anything I, I, I would be willing to, to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going above and beyond. This is who, I, this is who I'm doing. And he says, when, when, when he, let me just, I would draw water for your camels until they had had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. He, listen, those of you who are single, let me talk to you again for just a minute. Stop looking for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright and become Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Be the one who will go the extra mile, the extra two hours of serving. Be the one who says, oh, you, you requested this much, I'll go this far. I'm, I'm willing to serve in a way that is showing that the, my, my character is more important than the external. I'll just, I'll leave that there. The servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. <laughs> so, so here's what he's doing. The, the servant, Eleazar, let's give him the name Eleazar. <laughs> he's going, what is happening? Th this is for real. I asked a very specific, high expectation of God. He not only answered it, but she's hot. My boss is going to love me. Like, like I'm, this is good stuff. Is this really happening? And then at last, when the camels had finished drinking, he took, uh, a, a, a look, he took out a gold ring, come on, for her nose. Did you catch that? That was the, that for that time period, this was what an engagement ring would be. I'm okay if we go back to this now. But <laughs> and two large gold bracelets for her wrist. Now, so we have this, this guy, and he's unnamed. 
all throughout the entire chapter. So chapter 24, here's what happens next. So he watches her. She does what, the God had, what he had asked of God. She, he puts the nose ring on her nose, the bracelets, and she runs back to her family. And her brother comes out named Laban. He's a pretty important figure later on as well. But Laban comes out and is like, whoa, this is awesome. Hey, how's my, how's my uh, uncle doing? How's the family? He's got, the servant goes, I don't have any time for that. I just need to know, will she marry the guy that's 500 miles away? And, they, and he goes through and says, I prayed this prayer. God answered this prayer. And they go, well, it must be God. Now, what, something important that I didn't have enough time to show you in your, in, in your notes there is that the, when you read Scripture, there is a valuable real estate that you need to understand. When, there, there's, I call it the economy of words is the way that my, uh, uh, Brad Gray calls it. It's the economy of words. So when you read something, sometimes you'll read something and it'll skip like days, months, years, and you're like, whoa, here we are here. In this case, we're given the same account twice. Moses takes the time to describe this situation, not once, but twice. It's very important to Moses that you understand that this servant, who goes unnamed, and when asked to introduce himself to the family, says, I am Abraham's servant. This is important. It's valuable. So we sit here and we look at it and go, what is going on? Why is this man's name not given? Because the name isn't as important as the task. The name is not as important as the task. This is what you have to understand. So many times we operate in our workplace, in our marketplace, wanting our next promotion. Working so we can move up the ladder. So our name can be put on the plaque of employee of the month. So that we can get the promotions and the pay raises. And the, it becomes, our workplace becomes about us. This servant says, the marketplace that I've been placed in is not for me. I have submitted myself to my master to the point it doesn't even matter who I am. This is what faith is. He was able to say, I have witnessed the faith of my master Abraham and that God would put himself in a position to serve him that I will put myself in a position of submitting to him. I've witnessed what faith is. And then he's able to go, okay, I've, I'm, I've witnessed it. I'll commit to it. And then he steps out and travels 500 miles and give some really high expectations in faith. So my question to you today is, where's your faith level? In fact, Paul asked the same question. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Do you have real faith? Do you have dead faith? Do you have deceived faith? Well, what's your faith? Test it. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. So how can we test our faith? Well, James says, I'll show you faith. James chapter 2, verse 17 says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless, unless it produces good deeds. It's dead and useless if it doesn't. 
If your faith doesn't have actions connected to it, it's pointless. It's lip service and not lifestyle. It's leaves and no fruit. I don't have time to dive into the story too, too much, but check out Mark chapter 11. Jesus is on a path. He's walking along, and he sees a tree, a fig tree. And the fig tree, he says, shows that it has fruit on it. He approaches the tr fig tree that's supposed to have fruit on it, and it has nothing on it. God curse, Jesus curses it, and it wilts the very next day. Why? Because it showed leaves like it had faith, but its life was not producing anything. This is what our faith many times becomes, is that we say, hey, I believe in Jesus, but, uh, well, actually, James says, now some, some may argue, some people have faith, another has good deeds. But I say, how can you show me, show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? So there needs to be evidence to your faith by how you act. I will show you my faith by my deeds, by my good deeds. If you say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God, good for you, exclamation point. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? How? <laughs> James calls them out. James calls us out. And say, just because you say, I believe in God, doesn't mean, mean that your faith is in action. He continues on. Don't, don't you remember? That our ancestor Abraham, whoop, wait, this guy again? Oh yeah, that's, that's right. Abraham was shown to be right with God by his action when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Okay, now remember, this servant had been with Abraham the whole time. And when God came down and blessed Abraham with a son, named him Isaac, he gives him the son, and when the son is about 15 years old, he says, comes back to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to take two servants, I want you to go to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice your son on an altar that you build there. So Abraham gets two servants, loads a donkey with the wood, heads to Mount Moriah, leaves the two servants at the bottom of the mountain, goes to the top with his son, Isaac, and Isaac says, hey, Dad, um, we've got the wood. We can use the stone to build an altar, but where's the sacrifice? They get to the top. They place the young man on the altar. I don't have time for this because this is a whole other message, but a guy that's at least in his hundreds trying to put a 15-year-old on an altar to kill him isn't done by himself unless the boy, the 15-year-old, allows it to be done. Foreshadow Jesus. Here he is. They come back off the mountain, and the servants are there waiting for them. All of this took what is given to James, or James is given this highlight of Abraham as an amazing man of faith, this man witnessed. So you see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God, and God called him righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. You see, we are shown to be right with God 
by what we do, not by, as supposed to be, faith alone. See, every, every day, every day, a Jew will three times at minimum say the Shema. The Shema is a prayer that they pray. And the beginning of it, of it begins like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Love your God. That, so those two are love the Lord with what, the way you believe, how you think, and how you feel, and with all your might, your actions. Every day, the Jew will get up and say, my faith isn't complete by just what I think and what I say, but it ha it's only complete by what I do. James illustrates this. So we have this example of faith. So this servant, who goes unnamed because the task is more important than the name, lives it out. Four things that he lives out, and James points out to this, that show me faith. Not speaking faith, but show me faith, witnesses it. He witnessed the faith of Abraham, so he was able to step out in faith. Secondly, he said, show me faith, will commit. I'll, I'll make an extreme commitment. Abraham, your request is a little odd that I travel 500 miles. I could, <laughs> I could go to the next city over, find somebody that's a woman, and bring them back because you haven't seen your family in at least 65 years. So you're not going to know whether this woman's actually your family or not. But I'm going to go to the extreme commitment of living out what you've asked me to live out. The third thing is that he steps out. He actually goes the 500 miles. He moves into a position of, of ridiculous obedience, even when it doesn't make sense. And finally, this show me faith has high expectations. He brings it all together. I, I want to I I challenge us this morning that we have this show me faith that we can witness the love of Jesus Christ. This morning, we can look to a cross. We can participate in communion and go, you know what? Because of what he has done for me, I can say that's, that's extreme faith. I've witnessed it. I've heard the stories. I understand the stories. I've seen what Jesus is willing to do to show me his love. And then the commitment. See, the, show, the, the commitment is saying, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make you Lord. You, uh, you are my Lord and Savior, and I will follow you. And then we have to step out in obedience. That first step of obedience is available to you today in the form of baptism. Every time that in the, in the book of Acts that someone begins to believe in Jesus, the very next step is baptism. Jesus says, follow my example. He was baptized in the Jordan. We follow in obedience. It's weird. It doesn't make sense. Why would I need to go get wet in front of people just to, that, it's, it's a commitment. It's stepping out in faith. It is declaring who I am. And then it's moving in the high expectations. A first, second Peter says, chapter 1, verse 3 says, by his divine power, and I'm going to close with this verse, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. 
These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. We should have high expectations in our relationship with Jesus. He says, in view of all this, make every effort, now it's on us, to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision for, of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection for everyone, and uh, with love for everyone. Extreme expectations, high expectations. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord. Here's what I, here's what I want to do. I want, I want to give us this moment where we can just step back and say, God, I, I've seen your faith. I've seen that you sent your only son, and I'm going to commit to follow him. And that's the first step I want us to take this, this morning. Is if you're here this morning, is I want to give you an opportunity to understand that Jesus loves you. Loves you so much that he died for you. But he didn't stay dead. He was put in the grave and resurrected. And because he resurrected, we are able to follow him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to pray this prayer. It's a prayer of commitment. It's a prayer of saying, God, I'm, I'm giving my life to you. And you can say these words the way that I say them. You can say them out loud. You can use your own words and you can say them to yourself. But let's pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of your faithfulness that you died for me. That you were placed upon that cross take on the punishment that I deserve. Lord, that you died and were buried and you resurrected. Today, I declare you my Savior, my Lord. I submit myself to you. In Jesus' name.